glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, a verse I think every one of us should have memorized. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Your life flows from your heart. The way you live flows from your affection. The way you live flows from your attitude. May I say this, the first thing you must do to keep your heart is let the Lord Jesus Christ regenerate it with his life-giving power. You need to be born again if you haven't been. Uh, But if you're saved, I believe this is wise instruction to God's children. Guard your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. How many of you know that the things we see and hear do affect our heart? Go if you wouldn't out of Lamentations 3, a, a verse we well know. And the context of this is Jeremiah is looking on his people and the the judged condition of his people, and it's breaking his heart. But he makes a statement here that is in, that is inferred throughout the entire Scripture, and we know to be true, and that is this, that our eye does affect our heart. Lamentations 3, 51. Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. We could read in the gospel accounts how Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, was moved with compassion. He told his disciples, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Those are all uh, the eye affecting the heart in a positive way. But I want to establish tonight that the eye affects the heart equally in a negative way. I want to establish first and foremost, if you're keeping notes and just to keep us on course the pattern established in Scripture between the eye and the heart. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Many will refer to this as your eye gate. Your eye is a gateway to your heart. Uh, the Bible says in First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, I love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes... And the pride of life are not of the Father, but are of this world. God warns us that there is the world is going to appeal to our eyes. And if you start, I'm just going to give you some examples tonight. I'm sure we could find more. But I want to give you some accounts in Scripture. And I'm going to give you some admonition from Scripture and from our Savior to establish the pattern of a connection between the eye and the heart and between the eye and sinning with our bodies, specifically in regard to immorality. Well, we're warned in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee fornication. Flee fornication. God says, every sin the man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And we are living in a world that promotes fornication, uh, it, namely uh, sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage. Unmarried people engaging in that kind of activity, it is a degradation of God's institution of marriage. It is a despite against marriage. It's an attack on that. God provided marriage to provide for that aspect of our human need and anything outside of that is sin. And so Satan promotes fornication. Why? Because it destroys people. It destroys bodies. Literally, it's the one sin that will rob you of your physical health faster than any other. It will. Uh, we, you know, there's a lot of sins out there. Drunkenness destroys your body. Drugs destroy your body. But along with drunkenness and drugs comes the immorality. 
and uh, you can engage in immorality without the drunkenness and drugs, but it produces its own destruction, and God makes it abundantly clear He would have His children have nothing to do with that kind of lifestyle. In fact, He deals with some other sins. We won't take time to turn there. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5 or Colossians chapter 3, He labels sins such as lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is not fornication, but it is a bridgeway to it. It is stirring of the sensual desires through our thought patterns or through things we look or listen at or think about. It is stirring up uh, in a a wrongful way sinful sexual passions. That's lasciviousness. Uncleanness is acting upon lasciviousness. Fornication is engaging, of course, with that with another person outside the bounds of marriage. I've said as much as I'm going to say. I'll be discreet. But I want us to understand these kinds of things are being promoted at breakneck speed in our culture. Not just being allowed, promoted, and by many people who claim to be Christians said it's okay. So my question is, what does the eye have to do with all that? (laughs) The lust of the eyes. And what we might want to do is dismiss the practicality of how we use our eyes or how we affect the eyes of others and disconnect it from immorality. But friend, you cannot. The Bible clearly establishes a pattern between well, what we look at and long for with our eyes and what we do with our bodies, and that's what I want to see tonight. Go to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll be coming, or at least referencing back to this. Now, the reference here, of course, is not to immorality, but simply to Eve eating the forbidden fruit. But I want you to see how Satan worked in getting Eve to do something that God had forbidden her to do. We've looked at this very recently in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, speaking of eating of the forbidden fruit. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So he's speaking there of the figurative eyes. But then look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was what to the eyes? Pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. This forbidden fruit, we say this every time, it wasn't an apple because we still have apples to eat. We don't know what exactly the fruit was. It was the fruit of the knowledge, uh, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what it was. What we do know is God said, don't eat it. Here's what happens. There are things in our life that God has strictly forbidden. Just don't eat of it. But it's pleasant to the eyes. It looks good. It literally, to the physical eyes, looks appealing. Uh, how many you ever seen some of that fake fruit that looks so real you want to take a bite of it? Wax fruit? All right. Satan is a master deceiver. He knows how to make that which is forbidden pleasant to our eyes. Have you noticed this? Okay, I'll just use some general illustrations first, and we'll be a little more specific about how the eyes lead us into immorality and how we need to guard our eyes against that. But have you noticed this? They never, ever, you've heard other preachers preach this and use these illustrations, but it's just a fact You never see an advertisement for beer with someone hanging out of their car bleeding to death because they had an accident. No, no. They're having a party on a patio with a a fire in the background. It's pleasant. It's a beautiful life. You know what he's doing? Look how pleasant that life looks. He's a liar. How many of us think that when Satan uses so many venues today to promote immorality, He uses women today as nothing more than a symbol to provoke lust. They are used like pawns in his chess game to promote immorality. And when he does that, how many of you think that when he does that, he shows you the divorce court that comes later? 
No, of course not. Of course not. He doesn't show you the numerous adulterous affairs through the pattern of immorality in the life of someone who does not guard their eyes against sin. And I understand a great deal of this message is going to apply much more to the gentleman here tonight, but it goes both ways. There's application for each one of us. What I want us to see tonight is that Satan knows how to make that which God has forbidden look pleasant to our eyes and make it very available, very available and accessible. And so the first account we see in Scripture is that Satan works to make that which is forbidden pleasant to the eyes. And by the way, it may truly be pleasant to the eyes. We're warned in Proverbs chapter 6 as men not to lust after the beauty of a strange woman in our heart. You know what God says? The strange woman is beautiful. He doesn't say she's ugly. He says she's beautiful, but you better not want her in your heart or you'll be destroyed. And so then Genesis chapter 38, just want to give you some accounts in Scripture where God makes a connection between the eyes and the entrance of sin into the life. Genesis chapter 38. How many know this? That if you're not going to set your eyes on something, you have to have a decision not to do so. And as a Christian tonight, you are accountable for what you do with your eyes. You're not only accountable for what you do with your eyes, you're accountable for how you affect the eyes of others. Amen? Am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) As a child of God, the answer is yes. Uh, Genesis chapter 38, verse 13. We're just giving you some accounts in Scripture to establish the connection between the eyes and the entrance of immorality in the life. Genesis chapter 38, the account is of Judah and Tamar. The Bible says in verse 12, And in process of time the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up unto his sheep shears to Timnath, he and his friend Hira the Adullamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is, by the way, to Timnath. For she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, that would be with his eyes, he thought her to be an harlot because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her, by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee, for he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me, that thou mayest come in unto me? God's word is clear enough here. You find she changed her appearance to catch his attention in a wrongful way. That's just the fact, is it not? Now we have to ask the question, who is at fault here? Tamar, for dressing herself in such a way to catch his attention like this, or for him, for giving his attention? And the answer is yes, both. Yes, but I want you to see she changed her, she had her widow's garments on, identifying by her appearance, by the way she looked, that she was a widow in mourning. The Bible says she changed herself, wrapped herself, put a veil over her face, gave the appearance of an harlot, someone for sale, for sinful activity at a price. And when Judah saw that, his heart was already bent that way, and he fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Let me ask you something, were the eyes involved the enticement of the eyes and the engagement of the eyes in leading to immorality? Absolutely. Go now, if you would, to Second Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to read what the Bible says. I think it makes its own explanation. Second Samuel chapter 11. Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. 
But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house, and the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. We understand David was not where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be in battle. Many a time if a man were working, instead of playing, he would stay out of trouble. Amen. In all labor there is profit. Idleness is the devil's workshop. That's not a verse in the Bible, but it's a truth. And my point is this tonight. David is not where he was supposed to be. And he went out and saw something he should not have seen. Again, we can blame her, but the fact of the matter is if he was ruling his eyes, his heart was moved by lust, and she's not where she should have been, not the way she should have been, but the result of what David started with his eyes ended in adultery and murder. Is there a connection between the eyes and immorality? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you want to understand... Why immorality is so... I'm going to tell you something. I was in the jail a few weeks ago preaching on the sin of fornication. I had a young man in the jail, claimed to be a Christian, was open about the way he was living, so it was needful to take the Word of God and explain that's not the way a Christian ought to live. And the fact of the matter is, I said, gentlemen, how common is this sin among your peers? And they all agreed that they probably didn't know anybody that was not guilty of living a fornicating lifestyle. Now... I understand you say, well, that's those guys. I'm sad to say that is now becoming common among people who even claim to be Christians. And there is a connection between not stewarding our eyes and caring for how we affect others' eyes that has to do with this. It is incumbent upon us as Christians to know how we're to use and govern the eyes that God has given us. And so here, 2 Samuel 11, you see that David's eyes and what was put before his eyes and how he used his eyes got him into sin. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. I referenced this a moment ago. We're talking about some accounts in Scripture and admonition of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 24 and 25. This, there's an explanation here for the purpose of the commandments of God. Verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So why do we need the commandment? And the law and reproofs, here's why, verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman, lust not after her beauty, that's perceived with the eyes, in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids, for by means of a whorish woman a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Now, how many of you will go on record to say, I didn't write that, the Holy Spirit of God did? None? I mean, understand, that's the wording of God, the Holy Spirit in the Bible. God says, I'm giving you commandments to keep you, and if you listen to me, you'll, you'll turn away and not lust after the beauty of this kind of woman in your heart. And so, again, we see the connection between the eyes and immorality. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 6 through 10. This is the account that would seem that Solomon gives from watching from his window down in the streets below him. He says... For at the window of my house, verse 6, Proverbs 7, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones and discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. 
passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. She's loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house, so on and so forth. If you look there in verse 10, the Bible says she, like Tamar, had the attire of an harlot, meaning she dressed in such a way to draw attention to herself with the eyes of a man for immoral purposes. We're told today that it's out of bounds to preach such things, that such things have no effect on anything like that. Now, friend, our Bible is full of the admonition that our eyes affect our heart and that what we do with our eyes and, again, how we affect the eyes of others and we understand the way that someone dresses then is about what you see. <laughs> it's about appearance. I'm just trying to establish the pattern that there's a connection between the eye of the body and sins of the heart. And so then let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Matthew 5. 27 and 28. And because of the way God has made us and the design of nature, I never find any one time God warning women not to look and lust after men. It's the other way around, correct? That's the way that, that works, the way God has designed things and the way He warns us. But look here in Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So let me deal with the act of sin. And that's correct. The Old Testament law said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. You know what Jesus is going to do? Let's get to the root of the issue. But I say unto you that whosoever does what? Looketh. What do we used to look with? Our eyes. Looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You know what Jesus says? Let's get to the root of the issue. It's your heart, and your heart determines how you use your eyes. And if you misuse and abuse your eyes, you're going to commit the act. And in fact, in God's way of things, you already have. If you use your eyes to look and long for what God has forbidden, you're guilty already of the act. And so then, I believe we've established through both accounting and admonition of Scripture that there is a direct connection between immorality, whether fornication or adultery, and the eyes. What we see and what we put before our eyes and so forth. And so that's the pattern. Now, here's the problem. If the pattern is that we can sin with our eyes and open the door of sin with our eyes, well, the problem is we have a cunning adversary. The first part of our problem is we have a cunning adversary that is going to skillfully put things before our eyes to entice us to sin. Make sense? The Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted thee any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Who is it out there? Who was it that turned Eve's eyes toward that which was forbidden? Satan. Young people, this applies to all of us, but you especially, remember the kind of man Solomon said he saw on the streets? A youth. He's at a corner. You know what a corner is? It's a place where two ways meet. When you're at the, the decision-making point of your life where you're going to decide which way you're going to go, often Satan has something to appeal to your eyes to draw you away from the will of God into something wicked that will destroy you. And we must understand that he will appeal to the eyes. And, and while we use, of, specifically tonight, I'm speaking of immorality, and if you're going to guard your heart against it, you must address the issue of your eyes. You must. There's a screen available to every person that wants one with whatever you want on there. 
I heard another preacher preaching a while back said, used to we preached against going to wicked movies and we preached against bringing wicked movies into your home anymore. It's so accessible and so available. You just got, you're going to have to have some personal convictions every moment of your life because if not, you're going to get snared. Because there's constantly, how many know that every, all the time people are like this or like this or like this? I mean, we got something in front of our eyes. And I'm not saying we should. I'm saying that's become normal in our culture. And so if you don't have some convictions about how God wants you to use the eyes he gave you, you have a cunning adversary, the devil, who walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's going to put something in your eyes that is pleasant to your eyes, but forbidden by God. That's the way it works. We have a cunning adversary. Number two, the problem is our carnal appetite. Our carnal appetite. We have a sin nature that craves what is forbidden. That's what is the lust of concupiscence. When we're told we're not supposed to have it, we want it yet the more. You say, well, don't save people don't have that. Well, Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. The Lord Jesus warned his disciples. Here they were with Jesus physically present, and he told them, you must pray. Watch ye, Mark 14, 38, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but what? The flesh is Weak. The point is this. We have a cunning adversary that's going to appeal to our eyes with something that is pleasant to our eyes, but forbidden by God, and you and your flesh don't have the ability to say no. The flesh is what? Weak. If the flesh could be holy without God, why do we need salvation? The flesh is not able to perform that which is good. It's not able to turn away to that which appeals to it, to that which is pleasant and that which is pleasurable. And so we must understand we have a cunning adversary that is appealing to our carnal appetite. And so then we see a third part of the problem, and that is the availability of these things in the culture, which I've been referencing over and over, the cultural availability. So you have a cunning adversary that is using things that God told you to stay away from. He is constantly, may I say this, every young person in this room, your adversary is luring you toward fornication every day you live. And if he can get a child of God, someone who claims to be a Christian, to engage in such activity and smear and mar the name of Jesus Christ, it will make him so pleased. He is out, not out for anything but to, 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 to mar the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, that's one of his? Look at there. He couldn't even overcome the basest of temptations. We have a cunning adversary who's appealing to our carnal appetite, and we have a culture that's making it ever more available. Kind of a bleak picture, isn't it? <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Every preacher I know, one of the great heavinesses on our hearts as preachers and pastors is the, the shift we've seen in our lifestyle to where there are certain things that are available in the push of a button that used to, there were so many blockades between you and that that you had to be very intentional to search those things out. And now they're just available. And so then, that's a problem. The pattern is this. There's a connection between the physical eye and the immorality committed with the body and the affections of the heart. The problem is we have a carnal appetite that our cunning adversary is appealing to through lust and through... You think about the media that Satan controls and what does he promote? I'm going to tell you something. For years and years and years, I believe he's promoted fornication to the, get to the point where we are today to get our culture in Romans 1 where we're turned over to 
unnatural affections and turned over to reprobate minds. And now the sin of sodomy is being promoted and destroying our culture, destroying homes and marriages and minds. And immorality, it grieves me. I'm sorry to even have to preach on this, but it's in our Bible and we need to hear it. Immorality is as rampant and common as I've ever known it to be in my short life. And I've watched it grow like a wildfire in my lifetime. In 20 years, I've watched immorality that was uncommon become the commonplace. And this has much to do with our eyes. Much to do with how we use or don't use our eyes. May I say this? You will never live a life of purity and holiness without getting hold of what to do with your eyes and what not. You're going to have to have some rule over your eyes by the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. And so there's a pattern, connection between the eye and immorality. The problem We have a carnal appetite, a cunning adversary, and a culture that makes it all ever so available. Thirdly, though, how about the protection? Is there any way to live in this culture where it's so available and you have an appetite in you that yearns for that and a weakness in your flesh that's incapable of overcoming it without God? If we didn't have 1 John 5, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, I would say roll over and play dead. And I think one of the problems we have is we have resigned to the idea that it's impossible for people to live pure and holy lives in this culture and the adversary we have. And that is a lie from Satan. When this book was written, the book of Corinthians was written to a culture just like ours, where immorality was as common as breathing. And yet God's people were told to keep themselves pure, to keep themselves holy. And you must, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, learn how your eyes are to be used. And so, first of all, if you're going to have the protection of God, you must recognize the weakness of your flesh. We've mentioned it, but any person that says, you know what, I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle seeing, look, there are certain things, there are certain rules in my life because I know what I cannot handle. My flesh is weak. Spiritual heroes are not people without temptation. There are people who learn by the wisdom of God how to overcome it. You must recognize your flesh is weak. You know why the Lord said to pray? Because without me ye can do nothing. You know why Satan fights prayer so hard? He knows that's where you get power to overcome him. He knows that's where the Spirit of God imparts to you the wisdom you need to overcome his tactics against you. How many of you like to do this? How many of you would like to go into a policing situation, all right? You're gonna, the, the, the sheriff's department comes by and I says, look, we need some deputies. We have a hostage situation. We need some people to go in and get them out. And so, Hunter, we're going to deputize you. Um, here's a gun. Go get them. How long would Hunter last, do you think? Don't you need some training? Don't you need some time ahead of time? And they have what they call post-academy for a reason. That gets you prepped to where you can survive as an officer and not get your partners killed because you're going to go into dangerous situations. We're living in perilous times and you need the Holy Spirit of God to take the Word of God and instruct and inform you and assure you He has what you need before you go into a day in a culture that is feeding it, appealing to your appetite, drawing you into sin. Your eyes are going to have things put before them that you're going to need the purpose of heart to look away from or you're going to get led into sin. You must recognize the flesh truly is weak. The Spirit indeed is willing. Every young person in this room, I assume, is willing to do what's right. But willingness and ability are two different things. But it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. While our flesh is weak, the Holy Spirit of God is not. So we must recognize the weakness of the flesh. We must rely upon the provision and the power of Jesus Christ. 
Does he live or not? Can he give you power to look away from what you need not look at? Yes. While there are many people defeated tonight in their eyes, there are many who are living in victory. And you know how? Every person that's living in victory is the same way. By not depending on themselves, but depending on the Lord to enable them by His grace to live a pure and holy life. To keep their eyes clean. To keep their eyes pure. Now I'll say this. You'll never get the power of God to do so until you decide you're going to. You must first decide, God, I'm going to do it your way. If you're still waffling between, well, it's too hard. No, you've got to decide. I submit. I'll keep myself pure. I don't mean you'll guarantee it. I mean you're willing. You submit and say, I'm going to do it your way. I'm not going to make allowance or as excuses for sin in my life. If I've sinned with my eyes, I'm going to recognize that. But you must understand your flesh is weak. And in that weakness, you must equally rely upon the Lord to give you what you need to overcome. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Throughout all ages, world without end. That's Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So if you're going to be protected in your eyes, you're going to protect your heart by protecting your eyes, you have to realize the weakness of your flesh. You have to rely upon the provision and the power of Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. How many of you think Jesus was ever tempted to look and lust with his eyes? Absolutely. Say, no. Yeah, he was in all points tempted like as we are. Yet without sin, he was. He was tempted like, like as we are. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible says this. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now, being tempted is not a sin. Yielding to temptation is. Being drawn or, or tested and, and given an opportunity to sin. Being tempted. Uh, I don't believe the Lord Jesus was ever drawn from a sinful nature because he didn't have one. So unlike us, he didn't have a sinful nature, but he was tested and tempted as we are. And he's able to succor, which means to run to your aid. If you'll be honest with the Lord Jesus Christ and tell him, this is what I'm tempted with, he'll run to your aid and assist you. He's able to succor them that are tempted. Hebrews 4 15 and 16, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I can stand here and testify to you that every temptation I've ever overcome was this, this way, by the word of God and by prayer. By the word of God, giving God's word, saying, but this is what God says, this is what God says, this is what God says, when Satan says, look at that, but God said not to, and his word says it right here. That's not my wife, I can't. God said don't. Amen? Matthew five twenty-seven and 28, the Lord gives us such clear instruction, the word of God, and then Lord, help me, deliver me. If you'll do that, you turn to the Lord in faith, and use God's word on your adversary, including your own flesh. Guess what? God gives the victory. And so then, recognize the weakness of our flesh. Rely upon the provision and power of Christ. Thirdly, refuse giving an opportunity to sin to your flesh. How many know this? You and I are not in control of what gets put on the billboard in town. Everybody understand that? I'm not in control of what some person puts in front of my... I'm not in control of television programming. I'm not in control of what somebody puts on the Internet. But I am in control of whether or not I put it in front of me. 
The world is going to produce filth. I don't have to channel it into my living room. Amen? I'll preach this until my face is blue because we need it in our day. Too many of God's people are getting caught up in sin by what they're doing with their eyes. Spending hours in front of a screen and minutes in front of a Bible has got us in a spiritual disaster. I'll just say that one more time. It's worth saying. Spending hours in front of a screen and minutes in front of our Bible has created spiritual disaster in our churches. Eh? It's what we're doing with our eyes. God never told us to entertain ourselves with what we do with our eyes. Find me one counsel in Scripture that says we need entertainment with our eyes. Any takers? One verse? Merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Well, there's a lot of things to give you a merry heart outside the world's filthy entertainment. Amen. We have robbed ourselves of blessings by what we've done with our eyes, by what we've sat in front of our eyes. Look, we must refuse our flesh the opportunity to sin when it's in our power to do that. Meaning, put safeguards. This, you know what? You hear the word standards and people cry legalism. You know what, you know what a standard is? It's declaring where you stand. It's saying, I stand with God and saying that I'm responsible to not sin with my eyes. And if I don't guard my eyes, I will sin with my body and do things He doesn't want done. So I'm going to set some limits to keep me from being in a position where I know I'll sin. There are certain areas. I know if I get put in that position, I'll sin. You take a man that has been a drunkard all of his life and you set a bottle of booze in front of him, he's going to drink it. You do that enough. He's not going to have the power. So you know what a wise man does when he's been delivered from alcohol? He says, I don't want the smell of it. I don't. I won't walk down a street where I can sniff a bar. I stay away from that part of a neighborhood. Somebody says, well, that weakling, you got it. He understands the weakness of his flesh. That's why I so detest churches that claim to love God serving alcohol for the Lord's table. You talk about putting a stumbling block in front of a brother. Some drunkard is going to come to church and go fall right back into his drunkenness. That's wicked in the sight of God. And I say this, there are things we do not have to put ourselves in a position to be tempted. I believe from what I heard from what Brother Lighty preached the other night, the little tidbits I've gotten, he touched on this. Joseph, you know why Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife? Because he knew if he didn't, he would sin with her. He knew what he would do. So he said, the best option is to get out of here while I can. I want to tell you something. You want to avoid sin, God will enable you to do it. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Put you up, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know what God's saying? You cannot give your flesh an opportunity to sin. We counsel our children uh, as they're getting older. This is the counsel I was given. If you're going to court, date, don't go off alone someplace and give each other the opportunity to do something you shouldn't do. Keep somebody around. So well, that's old-fashioned. Call it what you will. It's called staying safe. It's called safeguarding your life from what God says will destroy you. So say, well, shouldn't they have more temperance than that? Know your flesh. Don't trust it. Don't ever trust your flesh. It's wicked. Trust the Spirit of God. And so then refuse to give your... Look, this is why you need to guard what you watch on TV. Best way is just don't. Amen? You know what? There's all kinds of things that stir the wrong desires in our heart. I've had times where you watch something, it seems harmless, it may be a hunting show, I don't know. But I get done and all of a sudden, I I have a sense of covetousness in me because of the lure of you got to have this, and you got to have this, and you got to have this. You know what? Here's my reaction. I don't have to watch that. 
If it's going to stir that kind of wrong appetite in me, I don't need that. I don't have to see it. You, you with me tonight? Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust of it. And finally, resolve in your heart. And these are not in, in specific order. Any of these it can be in a different, any order. Recognize the weakness of your flesh. Rely upon the provision and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Refuse the opportunity to your flesh to sin when it's in your power to do that. Where you're in control of those decisions, don't make provision for your flesh to sin. And then fourth, resolve to flee. Resolve to flee. There are certain things that if you get near, they're going to sweep you down. Uh, look here again, if you would. 1 Corinthians 6.18, we've referenced. 1 Corinthians 6.18, this is the only specific sin that I find that the Bible says your best defense is flee from it. Run from it as hard and as fast as you can. You don't stand up to it. You don't get as close as you can. You don't tell it how powerful you, you run from it. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Flee what? Flee fornication. That's going to have to do with what you do with your eyes. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man committeth, uh, is, is every man that sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So God says, flee it. Look at you with Second Timothy two, twenty two. Here he gets he's more general in instructing Timothy. Now get a hold of this. Timothy is a preacher. Timothy is a pastor. By Second Timothy, he is a fairly seasoned pastor, though still in his youth. Look what Paul tells him: flee also youthful lust. Do what with youthful lust? Flee. Stay away from them. Uh, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace within the call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There's some rules that God has dealt with me about and established in my life, and they're based on this verse. There are certain things I'm not going to get near because if I do, I'm going to get caught up in it. How many of you think it would be wise? How many of you are familiar with what flash floods are, in the, especially if you have them back east, but anywhere there's mountains? How many of you think it's wise? You know a flash flood is coming, and you say, you know... I really don't, don't like the idea of having to hike the high ground. I'm going to stay as close to the flood as I can without getting swept into it. Is that prudent? No, because if a flash flood gets you, you get near, it's going to get you. It's going to pull you in and it's going to drown you. You don't see how close you can get or get, you know, I'm just going to get no further away from it than I have to. When it comes to youthful lust, when it comes to fornication, God says the pull is so strong, your best defense is to get as far away from it as you can. May I say this, people that have rules in their life about this get mocked by other Christians. Young people that have rules about their dating so they can flee fornication will be mocked. Ooh, you're old-fashioned. And not mocked by the world. Mocked by people who claim to be Christians. That's wrong. Flat out wrong. God says flee fornication, flee also youthful lust. I believe this, you implement the counsel of God's word right here. And you can live a life where your eyes are kept pure instead of evil. Instead of your eyes being used to lead you into immorality, your eyes can be governed by the Word of God and the will of God and kept clean and pure. Let's look in closing at some verses that I believe that at some point in time, David got a hold of this because of what he wrote in Psalm 101. Job 31, Job says this concerning, uh, he's a man of integrity, and here's what he said concerning his eyes and immorality. Job 31 I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? He made a covenant with his eyes. You know what he said? Me and my eyes have a covenant as to what I will not look at and what I will not do with my eyes. 
One might say, who has the greater responsibility? I've heard some nasty women argue this and try to say, if it weren't for all those wretched men in the world, I should be able to dress however I want and it shouldn't matter. So who has the greater responsibility? The man to keep his eyes clean or the woman to not be seductive in her appearance? And the answer is yes, if they're a Christian. I'll say this, there are men who are wicked and it wouldn't matter how women dress, they would look and lust anyway because they're vile. But ladies, it's wrong to provoke such things that God has forbidden and cause a brother to stumble. Amen? God says that the women that are godly are to adorn themselves in modest apparel, not seductive apparel. And we've had other messages about apparel, but this is right where we live, people. And I ought to be careful and mindful of how does my appearance affect the eyes of someone else? Am I being used of Satan as a tool to stir lust? That's, That's not right. Then young men, men, older men, doesn't matter. We have a responsibility regardless of what's out there to make a covenant with our eyes between us and God to say, you know what, my eyes belong to God. I'm not going to look in lust as Jesus said not to. Psalm 101, Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3. Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside, it shall not cleave to me. If we would have the same covenant that David spells out there, oh, how it would affect the way we live. I will set, that is a purposeful, intentional decision, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. That doesn't just relate to immorality, that relates to anything wicked. I will not intentionally put something in front of my eyes that I know is wicked. Now, should that not be our same resolve? David had made a decision. Job had made a decision. I am not going to use my eyes to sin with by the grace of God. May I say this tonight? If you've not made that decision, you need to. Because our eyes belong to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And God intends us not to use them to... We're either going to use our eyes and submit to what Satan wants, and that is the allurement to sin, or to what God wants. Does Christ have a will for our eyes? Lift them up, look on the fields, are white already to harvest. Don't look at people in a lustful way. Look at them with compassion. There's a vast difference. And so then tonight, our eyes need to be guarded. Keep thy heart with all diligence. One of the ways we keep our heart is guarding and guiding our eyes according to God's will and God's way. Mm-hmm.